Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, and welcome to Mets 360 here on Block Talk Radio. I'm your host, Brian Jora, and I'm proud to be uh, joined once again by uh, fantasy expert Tim McLeod. Tim, welcome back to the show. Uh, thanks so much for having me on, uh, Brian. I had a blast the last time, and I'm looking forward to talking some baseball with you this evening. Excellent. Let's get right to it then. Uh, you know, some were worried that the Mets weren't going to do anything at the winter meetings, yet today they signed uh, reliever Anthony Swarzak to a two-year deal. Uh, Swarzak seemingly came out of nowhere last year to have a, a, a great year, uh, but he hadn't really done anything like that previously in his career. And what I want to know from you is, is there any reason for Mets fans to hope that he can repeat 2017? Well, I don't know if he can repeat in its entirety because he had such a great year. But, you know, if you go back to 2013, he posted a 291 ERA and a 116 whip. And, you know, if you if you look at his stats uh, a little deeper from last year, uh, you know, his strikeout rates were the highest they've ever been. But from April through to September, he uh, relied on the slider a bit more. And it was very a very, very effective pitch. So, I think uh, Swarzak could be a, a pleasant surprise in a eighth inning role for the Mets next year. Now, Swarzak did spend some time in Cleveland where he was uh, under the tutelage of new Mets manager Mickey Calloway, and supposedly Calloway is one of the ones who uh, helped convince him to ditch some of his other pitchers pitches and concentrate on the slider. And he's he's pretty much uh, a fastball slider guy at this point. And I think he throws 95 miles per hour and, and has two different sliders. So I think it's a, a sneaky, under-the-radar type move. And as a Mets fan, I'm, I'm glad for it. Well, yeah, when, when you start to look at the, the new model of our game, relief pitching carries so much weight. And I think he's going to work out just fine, Brian. Well, excellent. I'm, I'm glad you're uh, a little bullish on it, too. Well, I want to talk about uh, now uh, maybe uh, uh, one of the controversial figures in our game right now, and, and that's uh, new uh, Marlins honcho Derek Jeter. And, you know, he's made some uh, trades which have left some people scratching their heads, and uh, he also got a, a lot of bad publicity for having the audacity to be at the Monday night football game instead of at the winter meetings. So I want to know, what do you think about the start of his executive career? Well, you know, I, I think Derek will find out at the first home game when the fans are chanting, Jeffrey, 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 that the, the reaction is not going to be real positive, Brian. It's a mess. You know, he was he inherited a, a situation that uh, – that wasn't that wasn't really good, and I guess you can argue that as a part owner, maybe he's responsible for at least some of that. But pretty much the new owner came in and announced that they were going to cut sixty million in payroll. So he he kind of started off with uh, one hand tied behind his back. I mean, he essentially had to trade uh, Stanton and and Gordon, didn't he? 
Well, you, you know, when I look at that team, Brian, you know, you had one of the best outfields in baseball between Stanton, Yellich, and Ozuna, okay? They were strong up the middle with D. Gordon, who was on a very friendly contract, and Jacob Realmuto, young catcher behind the pl- plate, power at first base. Where they lacked was pitching. And, you know, you, you got Straley and Urena with three, four types, Dylan Peters, maybe a Chen bounce back. The bullpen was okay. Uh, I, I think it when you're looking at that situation, they only finished 10 games out of a wild card spot. I think it would have been a smarter approach to possibly look at adding one or two starting pitchers and give the fans in Miami something to hope for. The analogy I've been using on this whole situation, I think it's very fitting is, you know, if you can't afford to put gas in the car, you don't buy the car, right? Well, I think that's the point that uh, Super Agent Scott Boris was making earlier today. Uh, I think he was referring to the situation as a pawn shop and wondering why these guys were allowed to be owners if the first thing they were going to do was going to cut $60 million off of the payroll. Uh, it, it does seem uh, does seem a little upside down to me. Well, yeah, you're looking at a team, I believe, that finished 28th in attendance last year. That's that's not going to improve uh, over the next few years. And, you know, I get the concept of rebuilding, but he's not getting much bang for his buck. And in the meantime, is the city of Miami going to support his moves? Uh, I can see them being dead last in attendance next year, Brian. Well, maybe they'll show up just to boo him, so that would be kind of neat. I, I know personally I would uh, – get a, a lot of uh, satisfaction if, if a bunch of people turned on Derek Jeter and booed him. But anyway, let's talk about another uh, shortstop, and uh, that's Ahmed Rosario. And uh, he came up at the end of the last year, uh, flashed some interesting tools, even if uh, maybe the production wasn't we, what we might hoped for. So what kind of year are you expecting out of Rosario in 2018? I'm, I'm expecting it to be a learning year, Brian. You know, the kid's only 22, uh, so, you know, I think where we set the bar heading into next year is very important. And I think it's going to be a learning year. And I think, you know, maybe eight home runs, 50 RBIs, 15 stolen bases with the 255 batting average. But I think he's got a very bright future. And as long as you're not uh, overestimating his potential initially, I think he's going to be a very, very good player. All right. Uh, yes or no question. 12-team NL only league. Do you draft them? Uh, NL only? Yes. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, so let's uh, skip to somebody who's probably going to have a more robust projection, and that's uh, Jake Arrieta. And uh, one of the, the rumors is that uh, Boris is uh, cozying up to his pal, uh, Mr. Lerner, there over in Washington, trying to get him to join the Nats. What do you think about that situation? I think Scott Boris is trying to create a, a market and get that 200 mil. Uh, from what I understand, I think he sent out a 75-page brief, okay? Would Jake Arrieta himself be interested in, in reading 75 pages on Jake Arrieta? Uh, I think it's just an attempt to get somebody else in, in, into the game, get the get the money up there. But I don't think Washington has the flexibility in the, you know, in their payroll situation to be able to afford a contract like Jake Arrieta. So um, I think it's just trying to drive his value up. So I don't know if anything that uh, covers 75 pages can be called a brief or not, unless 73 of them are, are uh, full colored pictures. 
But I, I like Jake Arrieta. I think that whoever ends up getting him is, is going to, to be happy with the deal. Although, like you, I wonder if there's the payroll available in Washington to do that. Uh, it sounds to me more like uh, Boris, uh, you know, using some of his uh, some of the tricks in, in the big bag that uh, he pulls out from, from now and then. But I'm wondering if, if maybe that's also a ploy to, to get some other team interested. Well, yeah, I don't think uh, Jake Arrieta is going to have any problems finding finding a team that wants his services. It's just a matter of how much can uh, Scott Boris get for Jake Arrieta as far as a contract's concerned. And, hey, we know that Scott Boris is very, very good at doing his job. And he'll do everything in his power to ensure that he gets that best deal for Jake Arrieta, which is what a good agent should do, right? Absolutely. Now, you know, it's curious to me because we've heard a lot about Arietta here so far in, in the off season, but we haven't heard nearly as much about uh, the other uh, top free agent pitcher, Hugh Darvish. And, you know, he had the, the horrible end to his season in, in the playoffs. Um, so where do you think he winds up and how much do you think that, that poor ending will, will hurt him? I don't think the poor ending will uh, will hurt him a whole lot at all. Apparently, he was tipping pitches. Uh, somebody picked up on it, and he paid the price for it. Uh, I'm not saying it's the most astute thing to do, but you know, you got to remember when you look at Darvish's numbers last year. It was his first season back from the Tommy John surgery, and he pitched very, very well. So I, I think he's going to get a good contract and. I'm going to I'm going to predict that he ends up back with the Dodgers. Uh I think he enjoyed his stay there and I think the Dodgers would love to have him on board. You know that that's interesting. I'm I was curious if uh if the the ending would have uh left a bad taste in the mouth for the Dodgers. I had uh, two things that I wanted to throw out to you, you know, possible destination spots for Darvish and and let me know what you think of them and one of them is okay. back with the Rangers. And the the other one is with the Phillies. Yeah, I, I think the Rangers are, are definitely another strong candidate. Uh, he enjoyed his stand in Texas, uh, pitched well. I, I think both parties were happy with that arrangement, so I don't think it can be ruled out. Philly, I, I my my gut feeling on Philly is that. You know, you, you can't rule anything out, but I would think Texas. Uh, the Dodgers, uh, hey, maybe even the Twins will go out. You know, they're talking about spending money this offseason, and they're a year away from uh, getting the Maurer contract off the books. Hey, maybe the Twins can be a surprise, but I, I just don't see it in Philly, Brian. I think the Twins would, would make sense. Uh, I think that uh, he's a, they're, they're a team that could certainly use a, a guy like Darvish uh, as, as well as they played last year. But, you know, they, they signed uh, Pineda today, didn't they? And, uh, you know, I think that's more in line with the type of free agent that they usually sign. My reason for thinking that the Phillies were a destination is last year the Phillies had an opening day payroll somewhere in the neighborhood of $100 million. And I think that right now they only have three guys under contract. And obviously, you know, some of the arbitration-eligible guys will, will bunch that up. But there's a team that's got need, and it should have money to afford them. And it just seems like, you know, especially if you're looking to, to maximize dollars, might not be a, a bad place to look at. No, I, I agree, Brian. It, it certainly can't be ruled out. I think the big thing Philly has to do is they've got to find 
Uh, they've got to find a place for, you know, to move Cesar Hernandez and uh, free up some spots in that middle infield because they got J.P. Crawford and Scott Kingery chomping at the bed, and they're both, I think, going to be very good players. So I think the focus will be on moving around some middle infield this year in Philly. But, hey, who knows? Well, you mentioned Cesar Hernandez, and, and then, you know, let's use that to transition over to the Mets. They're in the market for, for a second baseman, and a whole bunch of names have been thrown out there, both among free agents and trade candidates. And I want to know, do you have a favorite uh, for, to be the, the new Mets second baseman? Well, I, I think my uh, my favorite is Neil Walker. I, I, I think uh, the Mets – uh, liked having Walker on board, and I think Walker liked New York. And you know, coming off the you know the back woes last year, they might be able to get Neil Walker on a two-year deal. Uh, the other the other answer to that question is maybe they can look at uh, the Phillies can look at moving Cesar Hernandez. Maybe that's one of the uh, one of the potential answers to freeing up a uh, roster spot for Scott Kingery. So I'm sort of liking Walker and Hernandez as as options right now, Brad. Neil Walker allegedly is looking for a four-year deal, and undoubtedly that's some posturing on the part of his agent at this point. I can't imagine that the Mets would uh, re-sign him to any kind of uh, deal of that length. Uh, I like Walker. I certainly wouldn't mind seeing a return engagement with him with the Mets. One thing that, that I am, I guess, a little sensitive to is that there's there's a, a sense of, in the 2016-17 offseason, the Mets brought back the entire old gang. They pretty much re-signed everybody, and then it, it ended spectacularly bad for them. And I think there's a perception out there that they don't necessarily want to go down that route again. And I think that's one thing that's going to prevent them from seriously considering Walker as one of their first options for second base. Yeah, I think it's a very, very valid option, and I agree with you. I think there's some posturing involved because I don't think Neil Walker is going to get a four-year deal. So, you know, two, three, four weeks down the road, once things start to sort themselves out a little bit, uh, both himself and the Mets, they might be happy with a two-year deal at some point, I think. Last year, the Mets extended the qualifying offer to Walker, and he accepted it. And then right after that happened, there was some talk about uh, a multi-year deal, but then that got nixed, and, and rumor has it that the Players Association wasn't happy because the, the average uh, yearly value of the long-term deal wasn't anywhere near what the, uh, the value of the qualifying offer was. So to me, I, I think that there's room to, to do, like you suggest, a two-year deal. So it'll be interesting to see if the Mets wait long enough for Walker to get that desperate. Well, it seems right now that that's the that's the trend. Uh, things aren't happening very fast this off season, and I, and I think one of the reasons for it is because as you get closer to uh, spring training, I I think historically you start to see some bargains pop up, and I think Neil Walker could be one of those bargains. He's Tim, and I'm Brian, and you're listening to Mets 360 here on Blog Talk Radio. We're talking about uh, MLB as a whole and the Mets tonight, and uh, let's continue talking about the uh, best club in the National League. And, and Tim, I want to ask you, do you believe in Brandon Nimmo? Yeah, I, I do. With uh, 
with certain limitations, Brian. I, you know, I, I think uh, when you look at his principal skill, okay, it's getting on base. And when you, when you look at the numbers that he's posted over the course of his minor league career, you know, in 2,000-plus at-bats, you know, he, he posted a 387 OBP. So, you know, right now it, it's sort of a transition period with some of these younger players. And I think eventually maybe Rosario ends up in the leadoff spot, but why not take a player who can get on base like Brandon Nemo and put him in the leadoff slot this year, let him get on base, score runs. He doesn't have huge power potential, but he can get on base. And that's a skill that uh, is very, very, very important in our game today. I, I'd, I'd, I'd love to see Brandon Nemo in the leadoff spot for the Mets. I had a laundry list worth of complaints about Terry Collins and the way that he managed inside the dugout. And one of the things that frustrated me at the end of last year was after Nimmo proved he could get on base at a, at a decent clip, a more than a decent clip, uh, an excellent clip, Collins right. still refused to bat him in the leadoff spot. He batted him clean up more often than he batted him leadoff, which was just insanity. And I, I do think that there's uh, a big unknown about that because he hasn't really produced that type of, of leadoff numbers previously, that, that type of o, OBP previously. But I think there's been a lot of confusion about what type of player he was going to be. You know, back when he was drafted, there was talk about him being a, a five-tool type of player, but he's dealt with right. some injuries which have, have sapped him of both some of his speed and some of his power. And I, I think coming into last year, the the feeling was that he was too much of a tweener and that was on both offense and defense. And it would be so much nicer if they had confidence to play him in center field, but I really don't think that they do. Yeah. I, you know, when you look at the options is, is Juan Lagares, is he the option in center field? You know, he's never been able to stay healthy. I think his career high in at bats is somewhere just over 400 and, you know, I I, I think Lagaris is is a fourth outfielder type. I I really do, and I would I would take the twenty four year old kid in Nemo and give him a shot. What's the worst that's going to happen? Uh, you end up back in a situation where you've got Juan Lagaris in center field, right? This is true, and I think that you know it also leads back to probably one of the the overarching themes for the Mets is they're kind of stuck in the middle. Are they at last this time last year, everyone thought that they were a, a serious playoff contender, but after all of the injuries that they suffered through last year and then, then the free agent defections or rather guys that they traded before they became free agents, it, it's not the same position. And now they're stuck between, are they going for it or are they rebuilding? And, and one of my friends has, has dubbed it, uh, we're, we're rebuilding for it kind of uh, splitting the baby or uh, throwing the baby out with the bathwater or whatever cliche that you want to use. So uh, I think that where you are in that, are they going for it or they're rebuilding, you know, may determine uh, how, uh, how friendly or how open you are to, to playing Nemo uh, as a full-time player and installing him in the leadoff spot, which is where I think he should be. Well, yeah, when you start looking, you know, you got to give Rosario some time. Dominic Smith, I like a lot. It's, an, it's another situation. There's there's some young players that have some great potential to grow, 
But I think you have to be realistic in your expectations and give them that opportunity, Brian. I'm I'm right there with you. You know, uh, one of the things that that I find frustrating about this uh, uh, recent era of the Mets is that they they tend to favor another organization's trash rather than their own prospects. And I think that they they need to give a shot to to guys in their system. And I, I think Nimmo falls into that category. Well, we've reached the uh, uh, the point in the program where I ask for a crazy prediction. I'm going to give you mine, and then I'm going to ask you for your thoughts, and then ask me to give you, give me a ask you to give me a crazy prediction of your own. So here's mine. Mine is that even though he got fewer years and a lower average value on his contract, Anthony Swarzak will be a better pitcher than Brian Shaw the next two years. How crazy is that? I don't think that's crazy at all. I, I, I think you're purely and 100% totally sane with that prediction. No problems at all with that one, Brian. All right. Shot me down once again. All right. Hit me with yours. What's your crazy prediction? Well, you said crazy. So, you know, I, I went absolutely straight jacket. Uh, let's get me to the loony bin crazy. Manny Machado to the Angels with Kevin Maton being the principal chip going back to Baltimore. How's that crazy? You know, I, I have to say that uh, at, at first blush, um, you know, I don't, I don't see anything wrong with uh, projecting uh, Machado trade uh, to the angels. That would certainly be quite the feather in their cap. Um, and, and, you know, they just got uh, the, the former Braves uh, international free agent guy, so it probably wouldn't hurt that much to move him. Uh, do you think it would take much more than that to get him? Um, I don't think it would take a whole lot because you're looking at one year, basically, worth of Manny Machado. And when you look at what the Angels have done, apparently uh, Ian Kinsler's heading there now. Uh, they made the big splash with Otani. Uh they're going to fill their third base slot somehow, somewhere. Rumors have it, it has it, it's going to be Chase Headley. I think there's been some chatter about Evan, you know, Longoria. But uh, wouldn't that be just a great way for the Angels to say, hey, we're going all in this year, you know, trade for Manny Machado, put him at third base, and find a way to sign Jake Arrieta or Hugh Darvish, make a splash with another starting pitcher, and they'd have one year where guaranteed Mike Trout would be very happy. <laughs> well, I'm all in favor of uh, putting a good team around Mike Trout, so I would like it from from that perspective. Uh, I, I think that it would take more in, in trade, even if he is on the final year of his contract. And I guess the other thing that uh, pops immediately in my mind about that is that I, I was under the impression that Machado wanted to switch back to shortstop. And I was wondering um, uh, if you see that as an issue where the team that trades for him keeps him at third base. Um, I, I don't think uh, being it that it's the last year of his contract and he's heading into free agency, I think all he wants to do is have a real good year and get those numbers, uh, get those numbers up there and hitting in the heart of the lineup with, uh, with Mike Trout and Upton uh Hey, maybe even Otani in the number five spot. Uh, I, I think that would give him an opportunity to post some pretty good numbers. So I, I don't see the shortstop third base thing being a, a huge concern. Now, next offseason, uh, when he's on the market, yeah, I think the word shortstop is, is going to be spoken quite frequently. 
All right, so here's here's my final uh, judgment. I, I don't think it's certifiable loony bin crazy, but I, I think it's I think it's a little bit crazy. So I'm going to give you partial credit for that one. Sounds good, Brian. Uh, I I was trying to go as crazy as I could, so I I thought I was taking a taking a pretty good plunge with that one. All right, well let's uh, uh, switch back to a guy that you mentioned just a few minutes ago, and that's Juan Lagares, and. Uh, an, an interesting tidbit here in the off season is he's going to go work with uh, the hitting coach who helped turn JD Martinez around. And, you know, if there's been a problem with Agaris, he's an excellent defensive player, but he hasn't really found his way offensively. Do you think that there's any chance that uh, working with the guy who uh, turned Martinez from, from a stiff into a superstar could have uh, anything remotely like that with Lagaris? Um, I, I don't think you can rule it out, but I think it's very important to remember that with J.D. Martinez, and it, it's funny that you bring this this topic up, I happened to be driving back from Arizona and caught an interview with J.D. Martinez on MLB.com, and basically he went right to ground zero, and he reworked his swing right from step one right through that whole process. And it took him a full off season basically to rework and remanage uh, and structure his swing. Uh, I, I think there's no reason why that can't happen with Juan Lagares, but Juan Lagares has to be awful committed to some, you know, to that sort of a program. And even being as committed as he is to a program of that nature, uh, I don't see any parallel in in skills that would believe me. You know, maybe he could improve his contact rates. Uh, uh, the problem with the biggest problem with Juan Lagares is the fact that he can't stay healthy, can he? No, and and uh, you know, if, if you can't play 150 games, that certainly limits your your upside to a degree. But I, I find this a, a very encouraging move, even even if the chances of it working out aren't that great. Ligaris clearly needed to do something, and I was of the yeah. opinion he needed to sell out in one of two directions. One, he either needed to, to to try to get on base any way he could, learn to be a better bunter and use his speed, maybe see if he could up his walk rate, or the exact opposite, forget about his average completely and, and look to, to drive the ball and hit home runs. And it certainly looks like he's opted for that second approach. And I don't think it's completely unreasonable because certainly at the end of 2016, he showed some very strong exit velocity numbers. And if he could, if he could embrace the changes the way that Martinez did, who knows, maybe he could develop into a 15, 20 home run guy. And that would certainly, when you combine it with his gold glove, gold glove level defense, that would be a worthwhile player. Yeah. It's going to be very, very interesting to see how that plays out, but at least he's recognizing at this stage of his career that he has to do something or else he's going to be that fourth outfielder, right? Yeah, fourth outfielder at best. Uh, the one thing that he has going for him now is a couple of years ago, the Mets gave him a, uh, uh, a, a nice contract. So I think he's scheduled to make six and a half million dollars this year, which would make him probably either the first or second highest paid fourth outfielder in the game. So the Mets have some, uh, some extra incentives to have him do well uh, additionally. 
Well, speaking of J.D. Martinez, you know, we were talking about some free agents earlier on the pitching side, and he's probably the, the free agent, the biggest free agent on, on the hitter-wise. Where do you think that uh, he winds up? I'm thinking J.D. Martinez ends up exactly where he left. I'm, I'm thinking the Diamondbacks. Uh, I think at the end of the day with the money he's, he's looking at, I think the market is very, very small. And I think he enjoyed his time in Arizona. And I think there'll be a meeting of the minds and they'll come up with a, a contract fitting of a player of his skills. And I'm going to pick the Diamondbacks. Yeah, I, I think that uh, that what you say makes sense, and I could easily see him returning to the Diamondbacks. Um, you know, last year certainly we saw the 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 market really undervaluing power, and I'm I'm curious to see with Martinez uh, uh, if if he'll suffer some of that that same. Uh, I don't even know how you'd call it, but uh, you know there there was rumors of him asking for a two hundred million dollar contract. And while I don't think the guys from last year like Encarnacion and Bautista and, and others of that ilk had any visions of a contract that big, they all thought they were going to get a whole lot more than what they ended up with. Uh, and I think it's real curious to see what kind of dollars that Martinez will get. Um, do you see him uh, easily cracking a $100 million deal, or do you think he'll have to settle for even less? Um, I, I think he's he's going to end up with a contract, uh, seven eight year deal somewhere in the one fifty range. But I, I don't see it in the two hundred million dollar range at all. I, I don't think the market is there, uh, and there's enough people looking to acquire his services that have that sort of money uh, available. You know, you're looking at uh, you know the, the only team out there that I could see that might give him that would be Boston, and that would be only to uh, try and get some of the headlines back from their neighbors uh, to the south, the uh, Yankees acquiring Stanton. So uh, I think the market's fairly limited. I think he'll get a good deal, but I don't think he'll get as good of one as uh, his agent uh, believes he will. Well, we are all out of time. I'd like to thank my guest, Tim McLeod, for joining us and talking about the Mets and MLB. And I'd like to invite everyone to join us again next Wednesday at uh, 11 o'clock Eastern when uh, we invite uh, Peter Kreutzer back to the show. Tim, thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks so much, Brian. Uh, I've had a great time and uh, looking forward to another engagement at some point in time in the future. Uh, Be well, my friend. And same to you. And good night, everybody, and goodbye.